0: Hi guys, welcome to the 20th episode of Unexpecting the Podcast with Tara Lipinski and me, Todd Kapastashi. On this episode, we'll continue with Kristen McQuaid's incredible and heartbreaking fertility journey as she takes us through the unexpected news of her baby London's birth.
1: The nurse came out and said, okay, Kristen and Steve, you can come back. And my parents stood up and they said, no, you guys wait here, we'll come get you later. In that moment, I just was like, this... This is just, this keeps piling on, it's getting worse. So we get brought back to this like test room in this dark hall. And I'm like, this isn't where my surrogate is. I don't see my surrogate, where where are we going? And within two minutes, the doctor and two nurses came in. And I vividly remember this moment like it was yesterday. And she looked at me and said, it's not good. She doesn't have a heartbeat. And it was as though I had already been prepared. I wasn't shocked for what I heard. It was, I I just felt like I was, it was like an out of body experience almost. Like I just dropped my head and I ended up passing out after that um, when I really realized that I was awake. Like I was in that moment. You know when people say like, oh, did you pinch yourself to make sure you were up? I really did. I really was like, I, th- I'm i not up. Like, Kristen, wake up. Um, Steve was pacing the room just pissed. Like, he's like, what the fuck? Like, you just checked her last week. She had a heartbeat. She was fine. What do you mean she's not alive? Like, this can't be real. And the doctor was like, I know.
2: I mean, you're going through the shock, but I, it's, we don't have Steve here, but it is interesting to think as a doctor... And, you know, like you talked about, just let them do their job, relying on just medicine and the scan looked okay and our heartbeat was here. It must have been so hard for him in that moment. Well, and
1: I think very much like yourself, like as the mom, like I, and it could be, and I don't want to say that to everyone's situation, but for you and I, I know that in the previous podcast that you guys have done, like Tara, you were making all the appointments, you were going to all the appointments. That was me. Like Steve was just there at the end of the night to say, okay, what's going on now? You know? So he was in it, but like, I was really in it. Like it was more so my job right. at that point. Yeah,
2: you're, it is. It's a full-time job. It
1: really is. And so, and he was there, you know, we he had gone to the anatomy scan and stuff. So he knew, he was a part of it, but he didn't feel the connection that I had felt, even with the surrogate, like- you know, he wasn't nearly as close to her as I was. And, you know, he would talk to her every now and again. Um, But normally just when I was on the phone right. with her. Same
2: with us. Yeah. Sort of this. I mean, once we got to the hospital, you had a, yeah. a, a moment with her that I think was was nice. But we yeah, we I, both of us, we kind of took that on as our full time. Like it's like Administrative work, yep. logistical work, friendship. Yeah. emotional, yeah. everything. Yeah. So I think for Steve, it was,
1: it's hard because he deals with death on the daily. He, you know, being a cardiologist, um, it's almost the opposite. He deals with older people dying every day. And so when he has to deal with his own family member dying, um it just, it set him to another level of emotion that I've never seen him in.
0: So for him, it was more anger.
1: Very much yeah. so.
0: Well, take me back. What is the emotion to wait nine months thinking everything's fine? Then the night before, it's sort of snatched from you in a second.
1: My initial thought was, why me? Out of The billions of people in this world, and every time I look on social media or on the news or anything, everyone is popping out healthy babies left and right. Why was I chosen to go through within minutes I was about to be a mom and hold a baby after 15 years of surgeries and pain and loss and Within minutes, that was ripped from me. And my initial thought was, why me and embarrassment? I felt pure embarrassment because I had let everyone down. I let my family down. I changed my surrogate's life forever. She now has to deal with death. And knowing that not only did she not fulfill her job as a surrogate, um, knowing she wouldn't be able to take home that child in the very beginning, but knowing that that child is never going to be on this earth to watch grow up, um, she I was so sad for her that she had to deal with death. And um, so for me, i I was worried about everyone else and myself last. And... I I didn't want to leave that room. My parents were sitting out in the lobby and they had no idea what was going on. And my initial thought was, I want to go home. Like, Steve, bring me home. I'm done. I just want to leave. I want to escape this. I just want to go in a hole. I don't want anyone to know. Well, you were very
2: um, public about this journey, yeah. right? The The process, the surrogate the name the name i mean you had the name picked out yep. i mean how much harder with all of those things involved was it extremely
1: i to the point where when i see people do and plan gender reveals now and uh you know parties and yeah. everything i think like don't do it don't don't just don't and because i think immediately i think death for some reason, when people are like, oh, I'm pregnant, like my neighbor, she's pregnant. And for in my mind, it just goes to, it's going to, there's, there's something, something that's going to happen. happen.
2: I know. I have the same thing. It's
1: horrible. And I I don't want to think that way because it's going to be fine. Right. Because, you know, it only can happen <laughs> to a handful of people. And I just so happen to be that, be that, that handful. group.
2: I know.
0: <laughs> so you're in that room and you get the news, I feel like I would be rapid firing, like, how does this happen? She had a heartbeat scan very soon before. When was that?
1: That was the day before. at With the at-home and Doppler.
0: That, oh, with the at-home Doppler. Yeah.
1: So that, that technically could have been her own heartbeat that she was listening to. Um, I mean,
0: I guess the question is, did you get a satisfactory answer to how this could have happened or how rare it is?
1: So in that initial... Um, We saw the doctor all day long, but in that initial uh, conversation, I think Steve was in very much your mindset in this, like how, what happened? What do you mean? She was perfect all along. How could this happen? And the doctor's response was, I don't know. I, I don't know. And that in itself is so frustrating because like how do you not know like you're a doctor and this is what you do for a living and i understand things happen and they can't know everything um but all you want are answers and i think for myself i didn't care about the answers i just wanted a baby and i didn't have any physical connection to london other than the sonograms that I saw. And for me, I just thought, well, there has to be another baby in this hospital that I can take home because it, it's okay that it's not London, I guess, Because, but there has to be somebody else that needs a home. Um, and I guess I just felt that way because I wasn't carrying her anyway. Um, and so for me, I just thought, How can I replace this already? Like how can I like this
2: awful feeling? How do I I think, you know, it's interesting we talked about this and so many women relate to this of miscarriage and you have the miscarriage and you go home and the only thing you're thinking of is when can I be pregnant again? And I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that because it's it's like, well, are you gonna grieve this pregnancy? You still haven't even had your procedure yet or you know, but it, it's it's this primal urge to to get pregnant again, and I'm sure for you in this case it was this urge, I, you know, and that's why I, I, I yeah. went this far. I
1: want a baby. That's where I was emotionally, and Steve was more on the scientific side, thinking like, well, is there. Anything that, that could be have done. been done, could could there still be a chance to get her out and do something? So
0: then at what point did you go in to see the surrogate or could you? And was there an actual delivery or how did that work?
1: Well, again, I thought, I'm re- take me home. And then I thought, shit, the baby still has to come out. Um, and so I thought, okay, oh, hey, Kristen, you had told the surrogate from the very beginning, you were not going to leave her until she was dismissed from the hospital. And so I thought, I have to stick to my word. I have to stay strong for her because she's going to go into the C-section. And, you know, Steve was like, do you want to be there? And I was like, absolutely not. Right. Um, And Steve said, well, I'm going to go in with her. And she, he went in and and spoke with the surrogate. Um, I did not. I couldn't face her. I was. I felt like so embarrassed and like. So did you feel
2: like it was your fault? Yes.
1: Somehow? Yeah. Absolutely. I felt like I should have done something to alert. Like maybe I should have been more questionable in in all of the scans. Should I have? gone more in depth? Should I have done more studying on surrogacy? Should I have done, you know, as we get closer to the birth, like because it is surrogacy, should I have done more? Is, you know, I felt like this was just all on me.
2: And so it was just interesting. You didn't want to see her really.
1: I didn't, I did not want to see no. her.
0: Was there anger towards her at all at that point? Or absolutely
1: no? not. No, absolutely not. I, um, felt, very sad for her. I felt very, um, worried. And I kept asking the doctors to, is, I would say, is she okay? How is she doing? How is she, is she crying? Is she breathing? Like, is she okay? Um, but there was something in me that I couldn't face her yet. And, um, So
2: where were you at this point? Just in, so
1: we were still in this little, testing room. And she was in her room. Um, she, the surrogate had, um, opted not to have Steve in there and bring her husband with her instead. Um, the doctors and all of the nurses had gone in and, um, delivered London. And normally they have the music playing and all the doctors are there and the nurses, and it's kind of like, okay, here we go. Are you ready? And, Um, it was the complete opposite, um, from what I understood and from what the doctors and the nurses had told me, it was, um, the doctor put on her gloves and got London out, but they had offered, um, to put the surrogate under so that she didn't have to
2: to go go through
1: that. She opted not to do that. Um, but I guess the doctor took London out and, um, immediately took her gloves off and she was just bawling Mm. and just threw her gloves and just walked right out. Um, I guess very defeated. Like she failed. Like she, everybody felt like they were blaming themselves. I'm sure the surrogate felt like she was blaming herself and I'm blaming myself and the doctor, you know, so everybody is thinking, how could we have changed this? And, it just is something that you can't prepare yourself for. I don't know. I didn't even know what to think. All of these emotions were going through my head. Like, I want to go home, but I want to be here. But there's no baby. So why are we even wasting our time sitting here? Like, let's get on the road and go. And... I didn't even know that they were going to show me London. I was so naive in all of this pregnancy and, and surrogacy um, that when they came out hours after.
2: So you're just sitting in this room for hours.
1: So um, it was about an hour or two. I finally came out to the waiting room and my par- my parents were there and I just, dropped my head and they were bawling. I mean, like their baby lost her baby. And to see that, I can't imagine like the pain. Like my dad really took it hard. My dad was the worst I've ever seen him. And it was um no one knows what to say. And that's that was just the beginning of no one knows what, what to, to say. say. Um, the photographer was sitting there and I forgot we had even had a photographer come. And I was like thinking, why is this girl sitting so close to my parents and who is she? Because no one else is in this lobby. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh my gosh, that's the photographer. So
2: I had to- you had to tell her.
1: So I had, she knew. Okay. So when the nurse came out or I think Steve had come out and said, she didn't make it, like it's not good. So she knew- And so when I came out, she was just like sitting there, like her head dropped. And um, this had been like four or five hours now and maybe not even that long. It felt like that long. Um, But I looked to the photographer and I was like, you can go home. She was like, are you sure you don't want any pictures? I'm like, of what?
2: Of what? Yeah. What
1: do you want a picture of? Me crying? Like go home. And I ended up like apologizing for my... Not so.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, I cannot imagine what that feels like, but I would assume, obviously you mentioned it, that there's a lot of emotions going on, but that feeling of seeing normal life go on or thinking this photographer was going to shoot this amazing moment, there has to be just this like Fuck my life. Like everyone just like get away from me.
1: Literally. Like everyone was pissing me off. Like people were getting Starbucks for the day and walking out like they're just having a great day. And
2: yeah, seeing normal life. Normal life.
1: And I'm like, no, no, no. Everyone needs to stop because my life just stopped. And you don't realize until that happens to you that the life around you plays such a big role in what you feel. Like even like just at you could be anywhere at the airport. If people are like, you know, angst and walking around and having anxiety, it makes you feel like that. And so just the world around played such a big role in the way I felt that day. Cause everything was just so on edge. Mm-hmm. And so the photographer was like, okay, are you sure? Like I can stay. And I'm like, And still not thinking that I'm seeing London. I'm thinking that we're going home. Right.
2: You just wanted to go home. I'm just done.
0: So what led to you ending up seeing her? And what was that choice like? And even the photographer ended up being a part of that, correct?
1: Well, a different photographer, actually. Um, So a nurse came out, and the whole team was so great to us. I mean, how do you not? I mean going through what they thought was textbook perfect pregnancy to the doctors and nurses are all shocked as to like, what is happening? Um, She came out and said, "Uh, I just want to let you know that we got London all dressed and cleaned up and ready for you to see. And she's perfect. She's so beautiful. And those were her exact words. And I wanted to slap the bitch, honestly, because I was like, She's not perfect because if she was perfect, she would be breathing. And I was like, don't tell me that, I don't wanna see her. Like I I wanted, I never wanted that image. image ingrained in me that I could never have that in my life ever again. And so Steve knew immediately that he needed to have that peace for him to see her and say his goodbyes and the social worker would come up to me, Kristen, like, you need to go in and say and see her like for your healing, you need to. And I was like, absolutely not. I am not going in. You cannot make me. You cannot make me stand up here and walk me in there. I'm not going to do it. And I just, I kept fighting it. Like, no, I. I don't do good with funerals and like even if it's someone old that has lived like an extraordinary life and they're laying there with an open casket I can't look at them like there's something that's like very eerie to me about that and so the thought of seeing somebody that was dead already was triggering to me and so and to know that that was my daughter was even worse.
2: Or just like you said, the thought of the image lasting with you. Yes, to know
1: that I could have had that and that's the last I'm going to see of her ever. Um, And I was sitting there and they would coax me into this for, I mean, it felt like hours. And I finally was like, Steve said, well, I'm gonna go in and you don't need to. He was very supportive of me you don't need to go in, but for me, I need to. And he's like, I'm, I'll am i be very supportive of what you want to do, but I'm going to go in. And in the back of my, I could hear this voice being like, get up and go. And I kept fighting it. I was like, no, no. And I finally stood up and my legs were shaking. Like it was almost as though like I hadn't eaten or drank anything in months. And I'm like walking into the hospital and through the doors and I turn the corner and I see this door closed with a white rose on the door. And I was like, I'm assuming that means death. I'm assuming that's where she is. And they opened the door and it was like tons of people in the room like maybe 12 nurses doctors and nurses all kind of stacked um so I couldn't see the hospital bed and when they opened up the door the the nurses and doctors parted ways almost to make like a column and and a path right to open to where she was laying and that image is so strong and powerful to me, I immediately stopped crying. I thought it was going to be the complete opposite. I thought I was going to see her and just fall to the floor and pass out and cry and throw up and not be able to control myself. But it was the complete opposite. I felt like the most peaceful angel was just laying in front of me and I immediately went up to her. I vaguely remember like the people around me on either side. And I just remember looking at her and feeling her and she was still so warm and she was pink. And she just felt like she, I turned to the doctor immediately and I said, I'm just waiting for her to breathe. Like I'm waiting for her to just take a breath. And she was like, I know, I know, and um, she was like, you can, you can pick her up, she's your baby. And I was like, you mean I can hold her? And she was like, yeah. And I scooped her up as though she was the most delicate piece of art that I have ed- had ever touched, and she was so limp. But I was, I remember just like caressing her little body and just like holding her so tight and not wanting to take my eyes off of her because she was just so stunning and so beautiful. And the way they had her, her her hands were crossed over her chest and she looked so peaceful, you guys. She looked like she was in the most beautiful mindset and just resting and sleeping. And she just looked so peaceful because you would think like, what tragedy did she go through? Did she struggle? I will never know. Um, Did I don't, I will never want to know. And I, but that always is in my mind. Like did, did she struggle to breathe and, Like, what made her die? And um, we will never know. Um, But it was in that moment that (laughs) I looked at Steve and I said, now I want all five embryos to be babies. Because we were going to be London one and done. After all of our years of infertility, this was going to be, our world. She was going to live the best life, and we were going to give her everything and anything this little girl wanted. And um, she didn't know what her life was about to be, and she didn't know the mountains that she was about to move because her life had a purpose, and I didn't realize that till weeks later.
0: So, obviously looking back now, could you imagine having made the decision not Ugh. to see her?
1: Oh my gosh. When they say that to you and you know the the social workers like you have to go for your grieving process, like you really do, you guys. Like it if you any in any sense of loss or in any stage of loss rather um, whether it's, you know, at, at, during a 20 weeks, you know, 39 weeks is what we reached. Um, you you have to go in and, and see your child. Like, it's, it's a way of closure. And that image is something I will never want to change. Um, I, like, just remember seeing that vision and I never want to forget that memory. Um, and I always would have wondered... If I didn't go in, right? you know, and so you're one, you're probably thinking like how, because you said, Todd, that we have a photographer. And so, um, we have around 12 to 15 pictures of London and that's all we have. Um, we didn't have any video. We don't, my, my parents and I, or Steve, we didn't have any pictures or take any, we, we didn't know how long we had with her before they come. We didn't know any, anything like I didn't even know I was allowed to hold her. Um, And so we didn't know how much time we didn't want to take it away by like, let's have a photo shoot. Um, So a nurse, a night nurse had stayed over, um, just happened to stay longer that day. I think maybe to cover a shift and, She happened to be a photographer and happened to have her camera with her. And so she captured those images that we have of London today. And those are all we have. Um, And I look at them daily. And I don't, that this person, I don't even know what her name is. I don't know her at all. But I feel like she was there, like she was an angel there to take pictures for us um, because otherwise we wouldn't have anything to show the world. Like, look how beautiful our baby girl was.
2: And and you also had her in a dress, right? Yeah. How did that come about?
1: So the hospital uh, – takes don't wedding dresses that are donated to the hospital. It's the coolest thing. I asked if I could donate my wedding dress and they said, well, we have way too many. And I was like, okay, but you don't understand. Um, my wedding dress was so beautiful. (laughs) Um, but they make angel dresses for babies that have passed away. And, um, they, so, the dress that she was wearing was someone's wedding dress, and that was sewn specifically for a baby that's going to go to heaven. And she was wrapped in a purple, um, hand knit blanket and hat. And that was from the volunteers. Um, these beautiful young, young, no, old ladies go and um, volunteer their time to make. Crocheted blankets for these babies that have passed, and um, it was a lavender purple color. So that has has been London's color um, ever since she was born, and so now that's that's her her color.
2: And how long did you get to spend time with London at this point? I s- in the room
1: with the rose. We were in there for around um, maybe three or four hours until they moved us up to a room on a floor. And I asked the nurse that came in, I said, how long can I keep her for? And she said, you can keep her for as long as you want. You just can't leave the hospital with her. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna leave the hospital with her. But um, I knew that there was no rush for us to give her back, but I also didn't want my image of London to be shot by what was happening to her slowly. Um, You know, like her lips were turning purple and she just was becoming more still and very, very cold. And my initial thought was I was holding her so close to my body to try and warm her up and I would swaddle her over and over like I was trying to be her parent and um, be that mom that I had been wanting for for so long and her little foot would slip out and I would be like, oh, it's okay, London, I'll swaddle you back up and I would talk to her as if she was alive and um, we finally reached that point where I was like, I think it's time. And Steve really left that up to me. He wasn't like, you know, Kristen, it's you need to let go. He knew that um, as a mother of her first child, that this was the hardest thing I will have ever gone through in my life. And he never pressed me to say like, she's looking a little like it's time to go. Um, And I made that decision. He was like, are you sure? because you don't have to right now. Like, are you sure? And I said, no, I if it's not now, if it's going to be in 20 minutes or I'm going to eventually have to face it. But it is so healing. And, you know, you go through a social worker after social worker coming in to your room every hour to check on you. And, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fucking awful if you want to know. Like, really... I was like, if this is how my life is going to be, I don't want to be here. Like my initial response is, I want to go with London. Like I'm done. And uh, you know, they kept telling me the the grief is is going to come in waves, and I'm like, okay, I, I don't need to hear this right now. What I need is a baby. And I I told Tara this, and. I've never told anyone this before. And that's what's so funny is I tell Tara things that I've (laughs) never told anyone, even my closest friends. Um, But maybe an hour or two after London was born, uh, the doctor came in and every time she would come in, she would just start crying because she would see me holding London and um, just trying to sleep with her. And um, I, I asked her, I said, is is there any other baby in this hospital?
2: Like you seriously asked her that?
1: Seriously, yeah. 100% meant it. Is there any other baby in this hospital right now that doesn't have parents that we can take home? And, and she was like, no, and that's not really how it works. Um, but I think it's just, I was trying to fill a void that I knew we were supposed to have like we had to make a 5 hour trip home we had the car seat in the car and not to mention our a house full of baby things
2: i just can't even imagine those next steps but i but before we go there i think stillbirth is is a topic that isn't And I don't know how you feel. I didn't even know what stillbirth was. It's just not talked about that often. You hear of it. But I think in my mind, I probably always thought of it of, you know, before infertility came into our world, I probably just thought of it as like very rare, you know, like you, you get struck by lightning and this happens, but it it happens more than you think. Yeah. It is a possibility. And which is also crazy because most women go into pregnancy so naive and think, like, oh, I'm great. And you just for 40 weeks go about life. That's like, again, like you said, you're now we always look at things that could go wrong, but it really could go wrong. And to deal with stillbirth, I feel like it, like you were mentioning with death, you see someone who's lived a very long life and it's sad. And, and obviously there's all, you know, people are taken away too soon every single day. But I think when it's, you know, this baby. A baby. It is probably really hard for your mind to wrap around that idea, right? Well, I mean, you're talking about someone that's
1: never had a chance to live a second in their life. You know, you've never you, – I didn't even see London open up her eyes. She was born sleeping. And – who is this person? Like, what would she have liked? Who? What would her personality have been like? Um, You know, what color were her eyes gonna be? Like, you have all of these questions that in someone older where you're like, they've had a successful life. Like, damn, they did it. You know, like, let's send them flowers. That was, you know, good job, good life. Um, But you should never be, Bury your child before you, and and I think that that is something that unless you've been through it, you is just so hard for anyone to understand and, uh, or should ever have to go through. And I think they say thirty five stillbirths happen a day Ugh. just in the United States.
2: That I mean that stat is shocking to me for how little I knew about it or felt it was talked about. But I I also had another question because, you know, we talk about levels on the podcast and this is a level that's just something we never got close to and it's so traumatizing to go through. But when you were – going through life that day where, like you said, you you wanted to go with London, but you're still putting one foot in front of the next. Was there ever a, a feeling of looking around on a labor and delivery floor? And I think a lot of women in infertility and different, again, levels and different diagnoses feel this, you know, oh, I've been trying to get pregnant for so long. I've had so many miscarriages. And then you see, whether it's a friend or not, get pregnant. And of course, every appointment goes great. And of course, it's okay and of course you're looking around and your neighbor is having a baby shower and there is this feeling of why did this specifically happen to me? Why does that person not understand yeah. how horribly painful it is to live in my shoes? How does that person naively go through life? Were you having any of these feelings around obviously losing London and seeing you know other people have children or even just that day being you know, I'm assuming you had to walk through a hallway and, and see people who just delivered a baby. Yeah.
1: Uh, luckily, they put us on a floor that was not the labor labor and delivery floor so that we weren't hearing babies cry. Uh, and we each had, I was next to my surrogate in, in a room and we chose to stay in the hospital. We could have gone home after giving London away sounds so horrible, after giving London back, I guess. Um, And But I, again, chose to stay with our surrogate. Um, And so we had little flowers on the outside of our doors. So every nurse or doctor that came into our room knew not to mention, like, congratulations. Um, You know, it would always be like, here is a print of her hand. Here's, you know, the mold of This, here's a piece of her hair. Um, And so it just, again, it was just so like, how could this happen to me? Like, I didn't know the statistics at that time of how, I guess, in quotes, common it is to have a stillbirth. But it's, again, not common. I mean, you think 35 people seems like a lot, but there's billions of people. Uh, and babies are happening and being born all the time like right now and but someone right now in this second is going through what I went through and to think of that is just devastating and I would never wish what happened to us on anyone um it is is just something that, you can't even put words to it just fucking sucks is what it is. You know? And I, I saw this thing, like everything happens for a reason, but what the fuck? Like that is, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Cause you can't, you know, it's like, why?
2: I think it's just so unimaginable, right? It is one of those things where your mind doesn't really process it. Even as I'm hearing you talk about this, envisioning what that might be like, it's almost, it's so foreign to think that, you know, you have to watch a little baby not breathe. You have to go through this experience and like you said, give away or give back or- I mean, just watching them
1: wheel London out of the room and knowing that I will never hold her or see her again- I just remember it was just like, take me too. That's what I felt like. Just take me, because I can't deal with this pain. Take me away too. And we had decided to send London to heaven in her dress. Um, I selfishly took her blanket and her hat with me. And I, Steve and I have that in between. We sleep with that in between our heads every night. Um, And the hospital blanket that she was wrapped in, Um, we still have that with us. Um, And, but I wanted her to look so beautiful and peaceful when when she went to heaven. And um, and so, and I am very open to talk about. We ended up cremating her, um, and because I wanted to carry her with me and have something physical to hold on to. So I have rings, I have tattoos, um, her ashes are tattooed into me. Like I, I, I want her to still be here so, so bad. And that's, I guess, my only way of continuing to move forward.
0: So it sounds like you never really got an answer to the question why, which I would imagine is pretty common in stillbirth. And two... What were those conversations like you eventually had at the hospital with the surrogate?
1: So we never got answers to what happened. Um, The cord was wrapped around her neck, but not tight enough for the doctor to say this is what it was. Not to say that it wasn't at one point tight, uh, but it was wrapped around her neck, but she can't distinguish and call it a court accident. Um, so for us to go through a whole autopsy and to figure out what was wrong at the end, we just needed to know, was it an embryo issue? And if not, great, let's continue. We know that our embryos are not bad um, because this was graded the highest grade that you can have. You guys know all about that. Um, but you know, so we knew that it wasn't an embryo issue. So I'm thinking, okay, well, was it a surrogate issue? So you're, you're trying to balance both sides of what it could be. And still to this day, I mean, I guess we could have dove in deeper, um, to find out answers, but it still wouldn't have brought back London. And so I thought if it's not an embryo issue, I don't care to know anymore. Or more than some that.
2: obvious issue that would give you a, some other type of closure. It right. clearly was still going to be everything looked fine. We think it could have been this. It I don't know. It could have been, right. Um and then with the surrogate
1: after we had our time with London, um I wanted to show London to the surrogate. I felt like she needed to see her, and I still hadn't seen the surrogate up to this point.
2: What is so, the first thing you say to each other? I
1: I think the first thing she said to me is, I'm sorry. And I think she thought, like, like I said, she failed, and she didn't finish her job. And she got within minutes of what she was supposed to do. And um, she was bawling. And the husband couldn't even be in the room. He was so taken back and bothered by the whole situation. And I had asked the nurse, like, does the surrogate want to see London? I want to show, cause I was so proud of London. Like I wanted to show everyone in the hospital and then I forgot she's, she's not breathing. She's not, but I was still so proud of her. And I remember carrying her and you're not allowed to do that in the hospital. Like if you have a baby in the hospital, you know, you always had to put them right. in the clear cart little thing. cart and push them around. But because she wasn't alive, I was allowed to carry her, um, which was great. Cause I don't think I would have been able to put her down. I don't think I put her down for hours and hours and hours. Um, except when I re-swaddled her. Um, but I remember walking in to the surrogate's room and saying, here she is. She's, she's beautiful and she's so perfect. And, she, I said, do you want to hold her? And I think at first she was a little hesitant. Like, I don't know if I can do that. Very much how I was. Like, I'm not prepared for this. Like, I don't think I can do this. To I'm kind of glad I did. Um, and she had time with her, and I allowed her to take time for herself with London. And um, I never left the room alone with her. I always stayed with London. And, uh, but I think it was good closure for the surrogate as well.
0: Well, I think the craziest thing to me is you, you have a nursery, you have a house full of baby things. And I would imagine, I don't know this, but was your husband or someone calling family and friends and telling people and then like, Hey, don't ask what happened or go to the house and remove things. I mean, what happened there?
1: So I was so scared to look at my phone because everyone knew. July 14th was the day. And so everyone was probably thinking, why hasn't Kristen posted anything about the baby yet? Where's the picture? And then people are thinking, okay, there must be something wrong. Steve had gone out and made calls to family, friends, um, relatives saying she didn't make it. Um, And my sister was living in Vegas at the time and got the call, and Steve had asked, I I need you to come here as fast as you can. So my sister drove 24 hours, not stopping, from Vegas, went straight to our house, and moved everything that was baby into London's nursery and shut the door. And I'm talking, my sister is 5'2", teeny, and was lifting huge recliners all the way up the stairs. Anything that you could think of, it's like she when was you moving. Are in
2: an accident, and you move a car and it's just that adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Of- yes.
1: It was that power that you don't know you have. and she was moving everything and anything that she could. And so because I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to look at my phone. I didn't turn my phone on for over three weeks because I knew there was going to be texts saying, I'm so sorry. I knew there was going to be texts from people that didn't know that were like, congratulations, I'm sure you're enjoying motherhood. And I had Steve look at all of those when I eventually turned my phone on and delete all of them. Delete every voicemail that I had, delete every text because... It was so raw to me. I didn't want to hear any of that. And trying to tell, like Steve was calling people and telling him what had happened, because I was so public with it, I had to make an announcement myself. And so when we eventually got home, I'm sure like everyone else, you plan what your announcement picture is going to be, and what the caption right. is going to say. And um, instead, I'm posting a rest in peace post, and it. I'm having to make it myself, and you know, I'm like, what do what do I even say? Like, I feel so embarrassed, and I let everyone down. Everyone was so excited. All those people waste their time coming to my baby shower and wasted their money on gifts and um, all for nothing. I just felt like I had nothing to give back and except for rest in peace.
2: What was the drive like home? Just to think you had five hours. Five
1: hours. So when we left there was these two nurses, Allie and Sally. I'll never forget them. Shout out to my girls. I love them so much. Um, They had brought me a a teddy bear that another mom had a a stillbirth at the same hospital. And they had given it to the hospital and a little tag on it that said, we lost our little girl stillborn at 37 weeks and we don't want you to leave empty handed. So we want you to take this bear so that you have something to leave the hospital with. So we call that bear, our, uh, that's London bear. And London bear is all we have. So we we left the hospital with a, with a bear. Um, we had a car seat all strapped into the car and ready to go home and um, Steve went to the car with my dad, and they ripped out the car seat and put it in the back. And I just remember sitting in the back of the car. I didn't have my phone. um, And all I remember was, Steve needs to take me to the hospital because I am mentally not good. Like, I want to end my life right now. And I just want to be with London so bad. I just want to hold her again so bad that just I wanted to end my life. And that's all I could think of at that five hours driving home and knowing that I had to walk into a house which I thought still had the baby stuff everywhere. And when we eventually walked in, I was holding London Bear and my sister was standing there and I remember giving her London Bear and saying, I'm sorry, this is all I have and she broke down and was like you don't have to be sorry like y- you didn't control this no one controlled right. this situation um but i felt again like i owed this to everyone and i promised this baby to everyone and i didn't deliver
2: it's just i can't again be in your shoes since we never experienced loss like that but it- you know, on a very, very, very small scale of the feelings I had through miscarriage of just in those moments after just being so confused with life and feeling so hopeless Yeah, and just what are you doing every day? Why am I waking up? Why am I doing this? And just this feeling of desperation and almost like, the axis of the world is off and you're this foreign body just floating through it. Yeah. Well, but I, and I can't even imagine what it's like when you you lose, you know, a child at the level of a stillbirth and you have But I these- also
1: think loss is loss, Tara. Right. And I think that it's very important to remember that not just because I made it to 39 weeks and you didn't doesn't mean that my loss was greater than your loss.
2: I know. I, I, I obviously still we talk about this, but it is because I never want to take away what you know you went through. Right, comparing it to my miscarriages, but and, I guess yeah. you're right. Like loss is loss, grief is grief. I, I yeah. connect with women through this podcast that aren't listening because of infertility issues, but they're listening because of loss or you know, even losing a child later in life and- Because some people only make it up to the six weeks and never be able
1: to make it further than that. And now they can never have children of their own. And that is their loss. Right? That was their triumph week that they made it to. And so for me, um, I- find that very equal to my situation. Although mine was a full-term baby doesn't mean just because this baby did have a heartbeat, this baby was alive. Um, It may have been teeny weeny weeny, but that doesn't mean that it it takes away from loss.
0: You mentioned having some suicidal ideation in the time after London's birth. What's the process even like to try to get healthy after something like this?
1: Steve was very concerned about me. Um, When I got home, all I wanted to do was sleep. The doctor had prescribed me Xanax to be able to live somewhat less anxiety-ridden and um, blaming myself and questioning and not being able to function. Um, So I slept for four days. I didn't eat. I didn't drink. I literally stayed in my bed for four days. And looking back at that, I don't think that that was the smartest. I don't, not that I chose to do that, but um, I forgot that Steve was grieving too. And he not only is grieving the loss of London, but is now is worrying about his wife and losing his wife. And selfishly, I feel like I could have been stronger, but I don't think I physically could have. Um, I didn't choose what I was feeling. Feeling. Um, My body hurt so bad. I remember crying, laying on the floor, saying, you need to take me to the hospital. I'm dying. I literally felt like I was dying. Every muscle in my body hurt. I just felt like my heart was going to stop at any moment. And
2: yeah, the literal heartache. It,
1: it was like my heart was broken, literally. Um, but after the four days, I started slowly coming out of my room a little bit more every day. And I continuously just kept seeing more white flowers grace the beauty of our house, and I hated it. <laughs> um, it looked like a morgue every time I walked out of our room. Well, white is the flower that is usually sent with with death, death. right? You think and. Everyone that sent flowers, I'm so thankful for, but that's just not what I needed. I didn't need anything. I didn't want anything. I didn't even want people to call me. I didn't want people to text me. I'm sorry. I didn't want anything. I just wanted silence. I just wanted the world to stop. And um, it felt like it just kept getting louder and louder and people just, the doorbell Bringing with more flowers coming and more flowers. And so what did you do one day? Didn't you tell your mom? Yes. So my mom said, Kristen, I know you're going through a lot right now, um, but you seem like a little bit more tense today. Like what's, what's wrong? And I was like, I hate these flowers. I hate them. And she was like, okay, let's get, let's get rid of them. Let's throw them all out. So we took trash bags and I chucked, all of those white flowers into the trash bag. And we got rid of them. And there was one bouquet that someone sent that it was a colorful, bright bouquet of flowers. And I was like, I'll keep that. That's perfect. That's all I need. And I walked out and I said, it's better. I feel better. Because I, it was just like, all I saw was death, 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 death. And flowers die. And you have to take care of flowers. And I just dealt with death. So in in a way, it's such a, we think of sending flowers to someone that is experiencing something that is of loss, but you also have to, it's such a weird thing because they die and then you throw them away and you never see them again. Um, and so it, it was such a hard way of, of dealing, Steve bought me this phone, um, moving forward, um,
2: while beca- you weren't using your other one.
1: So right. Remember I didn't turn my phone on for three weeks and I was like, I want to text my surrogate because she was the only person I wanted to talk to besides Steve and my, my parents. Um, no one else. I didn't want to even talk to my best friends. I was so embarrassed, nothing. And so Steve said, okay, well, you, you're you gonna have to turn on your phone unless you wanna use mine. I was like, no, and so he went and bought me, he jokes about it and said, I bought you a burner phone. And he couldn't, he got a flip phone. I'm like, Steve, couldn't you not have got at least something that I can't spend 20 minutes to type right. one letter? Right. It was the one where you have to like, like get old school. a C, like <laughs> one, two, three, C, one, two, I'm like, okay, this is taking too long. <laughs> Um, I'm already stressed enough. And so that was my way of contacting the surrogate and I would talk to her almost 24/7. And I think the reason why I felt so connected to her was because I felt like she was still London. I felt like she was my London. And London was still there because she held London for so long. And that was my connection to London. And I felt like if I talked to her, I felt better. I felt uh, a sense of comfort. Even though London wasn't there, I felt like she still was
2: there in a way. And what was it like? Because you had a lot of family come in. So Steve was essentially hosting. Hosting. You would think that someone was graduating medical school
1: or, you know, some huge wedding. Um, Everyone came in. Steve's brother, um, Steve's mom was there, a close family and friends, my brother, my sister, uh, everyone. And they all stayed at the house. And, you know, it's hard because you want that and that's your initial thought for family to – I'm going to fly in because I want to be there for you. But I don't think our healing really began until everyone was gone. We didn't really have time to process what had really happened because it was going on so fast. Um, And it was so, they didn't know what to say. They were there and everyone was just kind of drinking and having conversations and they didn't really know what to say to that would trigger Steve again? I was sleeping for four days, so I don't really remember most of them right. being there anyway. Uh, and so I think it, it, their intent to be there was very valid, but it's just so hard because you want to be there for your family, but
0: yeah. And we've we've talked a lot about this on the podcast is did people know what to say to you? Because people try to be kind and empathetic, right. but not really understanding the world or the trauma. They just often say the wrong thing, right?
1: That's when I really learned that I needed to be a voice for infertility, is dealing with people after the loss. Because it, it is so odd when you deal with people after you go through a tragedy, how people treat you. I would have people run from me when they would see me, like run back into their house when I would be driving down the street. I had my vet, uh, I had to take my dog in um, because he had an ear infection and she had was at the baby shower. And when I saw her, she knew what had happened but didn't even bring it up, didn't even say, I'm sorry. She just acted like nothing happened, which is awful, like I literally just lost my daughter and you can't even say I'm sorry. Um, I would have people say everything happens for a reason Um, or she's in a better place Um, or, you know, it's probably better that she died now rather than days after or, you know, you get all of these, what people think they're trying to help. and, And that's the thing is, looking at the vet and looking at family or what they're saying, they don't really know. So it's not like you can blame them for what they're doing. I just think that we're not educated enough to say, all you really need to say is, I'm sorry, let me know if I, there's anything I can do. And right. that's it. Right? People don't understand and they try to be at your level. And I'm like, I don't need any information. Nothing is going to help. It, it, I'm in so much pain right now. all I need you to know all I need to know is that you're gonna be there for me and then That's if I need you
2: And then what was your relationship with Steve during this time? because I know it can be really hard on relationships and friendships and all of those things as you're navigating grief. What was it like those next few months? It was so
1: interesting because I talked to one of my friends, one of my close friends, Mandy Shaw, who had lost um, her son. Um, To a horrible uh, disease. And she had told me the advice of, she said, This is going to sound really strange, but you need to have sex with Steve and get really close with him during this time. And I was like, She said, I know you're not going to feel like it. I know that this is going to be the complete opposite of what you want to do. But you need to be there for each other and this is what you, you're you gonna need. And I was thinking, that sounds awful yeah, right now. No, like, I no. can't even get up off the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you mean? And I think that I, I understood, not even just for the sex part, but like, we really learned to each other. I thought I knew Steve. I thought I loved Steve the most I could ever love him but the loss brought us closer than I ever could have imagined. And years still go by. Like London would have been two and a half now. And I feel like every year that we celebrate London's birthday, the closer I feel to Steve.
0: And I suppose the last question on, I hate to call them parts, but you know, your story goes on after this. Um, but I guess the last question here is, was there some turning point where you said, I really just want to get back into this and try for another child in, in some way?
1: So remember in the hospital, I was like, I need a baby right now. Like I'm ready. Clearly I was that's all grief and I'm my sorrow is talking. Um I think it was around two or three months after we lost London that I realized, A, I'm not getting any younger. I was on the older, so now we're talking like I'm 41 at this point, 40, 41. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I'm gonna be a mom, like I need it to happen pretty soon. And I also felt like I had waited so long. I didn't wanna wait any longer. Had I had been in my 20s, early thirties, I probably could have waited like a year and a half to really let that grief. But then again, I don't know because I feel like my grief in healing was get having another baby. And when I tried to explain that to the therapist that I had to see after loss and to the surrogacy agency, um, they were like, "Oh no, it, you have to wait a year and a half." I said, "For who? Who yeah. says that? Like by what law is that?" Well, it's not, but the doctors suggest for your healing. And I said, "No, I know that for my healing, I need a baby. I need to hold a baby, and that's going to be my healing." And sure enough. When we decided that we were ready and the doctors had to clear us, that is when I believe my mental health took a turn
2: for the better. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases.